Hello friends, we are Dan and Beth Sonnenberg and we serve with Timothy II Project International providing theological training through week-long workshops for pastors and ministry leaders in Latin America and the Caribbean. During the next few minutes we want to introduce you to Timothy II and let you see and hear music, especially worship music, travel, teaching, testimonials, and some of our workshop groups in Latin America and the Caribbean. Our mission is to equip indigenous pastors and ministry leaders with the essential truths of the Christian faith so that they can train others. Our mandate is based on 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul wrote these words to Timothy, What you have heard from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the end of 2019, Timothy II instructors worldwide have completed 270 workshops in 44 nations with over 1,500 participants. Beth and I have served in Latin America and the Caribbean since 2016, and we, together with our national missionary partners, have completed 44 workshops in nine nations with over 200 participants.
Ponme arriba, ya volteando. Since um, I think one one week after the, um, the you left, I started to use the material because I find out that it's really a blessing, you know, and I see that, like what you have mentioned already, it's, it's so easy to teach and I see, you know, and, uh, the application and the response that it the, the congregation, you know, it was really good and they just really love it. So I continue to teach that for a while up to now. I still teach it because especially the first course, it, it, it really enlightened my mind and you know, about God and you know, who He is and His sovereignty and all those stuff. So it's, it's really a blessing 
for me and for my church. It makes because I am a pastor that's working, so you know, like what you have mentioned, it's fixed already and it's so easy to teach and people understood it. Well, um, we have a, um, we, in our um, ladies' ministry, we have a group, um, we have five groups. I'm in group five, and what I intend to do with my material is to just um, work that with our nine or eight ladies that is, are in our group, that the nine ladies that are in our group, then I can use this material to help them to know and understand more about God and Jesus Christ and his works and what he did for me. This was my first workshop group in Havana, Cuba, and the first group in Latin America to complete all four workshops. And this is Beth's first group of children's ministry leaders in Havana, Cuba. This was the second group in Havana, Cuba. I taught the first workshop and Don Johnson in the middle served as an intern. Then he completed teaching workshops two, three, and four. And this is Beth's second group of children's ministry leaders in Havana, Cuba. This was my workshop group in central Cuba in the city of Palmyra. And this is Beth's group of children's ministry leaders in Palmyra, Cuba. This is my group of pastors and ministry leaders in Jacmel, Haiti. And this is Beth's group of children's ministry leaders in Jacmel. This was my group in La Romana, Dominican Republic. Most of them are immigrants from Haiti. And this is Beth's group of children's ministry leaders in La Romana, Dominican Republic. This was my group in Belize, in the city of Independence. This is my group in El Salvador, near the city of San Salvador. And they are, so far, the largest group yet. This was my group in Cartagena, Colombia. This is my group in Guayaquil, Ecuador. This is my group in Lima, Peru that just recently completed their fourth workshop. And this is Beth's group in Lima, Peru. Thanks for watching. 
If you would like to contact us, receive more information, or partner with us, you can use the links on this page. Thanks again, and God bless. My part's over now. I was to stand here and be nice, but I did want to bring greetings from the Church of Jesus Christ in the sunny South. We're so glad to see you again, and may the Lord continue to bless you. We are happy to be with you today. Our message today is coming from a, a little bit different passage than what, what, what we found in the, uh, or what is printed in the bulletin. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read the passage from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and I titled it, The Lifestyle of the Citizens of Jesus' Kingdom. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading of this word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our passage today comes from the opening section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the book of Matthew. And verses 3 and 12, as most of you know, are often called the Beatitudes, which means blessings, because each phrase begins with blessed are. The Beatitudes, or blessings in these verses, are not to be taken individually, but together, like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. They're not merely individual evidences, but mutual evidences of God's grace in every Christian's life. So taken together, the Beatitudes view various aspects of Christ-like character that Jesus has implanted in us by his Spirit and seeks to grow in our lives throughout our lifetimes. So in this passage, Jesus gives us a vision of what our lives are to become as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives day by day. So we're just going to take them one at a time and uh, meditate on each uh, section. In verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The poor in spirit are those who know their need for God. It's not a matter of personal weakness or financial poverty. Instead, it's an awareness of our own sinfulness before God and thus a willing dependence on God. It's the opposite of arrogant self-confidence, which treats the needs of others as unimportant and treats God as irrelevant. The second phrase, as you know, each one has a, a first phrase and a second phrase. The second phrase here, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, means that you who are poor in spirit gladly accept God's rule. And therefore, you enjoy the benefits which come to you as his subjects. The phrase kingdom of heaven is a general statement about the blessings you have received and will receive as a member of Christ. So this is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus went about preaching in all of Galilee. In verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning is for our own sin and for the sins of others in the church and in the world. It's not enough to acknowledge our own sinfulness with a cold, impassive heart. There must be sadness and grieving as well. I'm sure you sometimes feel angry about sin, especially about other people's sins. Do you ever just feel sad about your own sin or the sins of your city or your world or those that you know who are struggling with sin. Remember how Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they refused to welcome the good news? Or remember how Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus? He wept in part because it was sin ultimately that took Lazarus' life. So we are to weep as he does and we're promised that those who mourn shall be comforted. Isaiah wrote these words, comfort, comfort my people. Her sin has been paid for. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. Jesus himself said, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to comfort all who mourn. You and I can look forward to the day when all sin will be removed from you, from me, from others, and from the world forever. We shall be comforted. He says in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek person, in a word, is gentle, trusting God to provide and protect, not seeking vengeance, not arrogant or oppressive. They don't throw their weight around in order to get their own way. So gentleness entails self-control. A gentle person is, not, is, a, is assertive, but not for himself or herself, but more for the rights of others. Jesus promises that the meek will inherit the earth. This tells us that we will one day partake of our inheritance in the promised land, in the new heavens and the new earth. In verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness here is both personal righteousness and social justice. 
You have a longing for righteousness to be done, to be done in your life and for justice to be implemented in the world and finally in the messianic kingdom. This is actual righteousness expressed in right deeds. It's an eagerness to live as God requires. To say as Jesus did, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And this kind of hunger will one day be fully satisfied. The word satisfied here refers to fattening animals or what we call being stuffed like on Thanksgiving Day. He promises that in the consummation, your life and the entire cosmos will be stuffed with the righteousness that you and I desire because of our relationship to Christ. In verse 7, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is a generous attitude which is willing to see things from the other person's point of view. You're not quick to take offense or gloat over others' shortcomings or weaknesses. Mercy includes both forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and needy. It's acknowledging that you too are a sinner and therefore you can have compassion on others others who are also sinners. Because of the grace poured out on you and me, we can be merciful to others. The reward, you shall receive mercy, is not mercy shown by others to us, but, to, but by God to us. In fact, we know from other scriptures that God requires mercy of us to others. He says, what you will give, what you give will be given to you. Not by others, again, but by God himself. He says, if you give mercy to others, you will receive mercy from God. If not, you will not. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One who is pure in heart is truthful and actively seeking for God. This is very close to the meaning of verse 6, hungering for righteousness. You long to live as God requires... Pretending deception and moral filth can't exist with sincere devotion to Christ. That's what we call hypocrisy. In first century Judaism, there was a strong emphasis on ritual purity and cleansing by washing. This, however, is an emphasis on washing or cleansing our hearts in contrast to washing merely what's external. Those who are pure in heart are promised a vision of God. If you have trusted in Christ for salvation, who is the exact representation of God's nature, you have seen God with the eyes of faith already. But one day you will see him as he is and face to face in the consummation. Verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God's true people seek peace and pursue it, says Psalm 34. Peacemakers don't merely seek a peaceful attitude of heart for themselves. They also seek to make peace among others in a few different ways. They make peace between God and men by the proclamation of the gospel. They seek reconciliation with their own enemies And they bring together those who are in conflict with one another. 
So this requires overcoming our fear of proclaiming the gospel. Overcoming our desire for vengeance when we have been wronged. And overcoming our preference for not getting involved in other people's disagreements. Because you and I have experienced peace between ourselves and God through the cross of Christ. We can and must be actively involved in peacemaking. It's part of who we are in Christ. Jesus said that that, uh, peacemakers are promised they will be called sons of God. That is, God will recognize them as his children. Sons of God share the Father's character. And God is the ultimate peacemaker in Jesus Christ. And finally, he speaks about persecution. We don't want to hear about this part. In verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pursuing righteousness in your life and in the world around you can rile certain people up. It can threaten their personal interests, their self-respect, and it can upset their denial. There will be a cost to live as subjects of Jesus' kingdom because the rest of society doesn't share your values. The cause of persecution is not simply your righteousness or my righteousness, not merely our distinctive lifestyles, but specifically because of me, Jesus, because of Jesus, because we've aligned ourselves with him. There. Jesus said, a a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, he said. So to be persecuted for God is therefore a badge of honor. It means joining in with Jesus and the prophets who've gone before us as with a band of brothers. Notice how the subject of verses 11 and 12 turned from third person to second person. 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. As a church in this community, you have a corporate impact as an alternative society in the world. You're like a city on a hill. It's noticed by all who pass by, but it's also easy to take pot shots at. And when you shine the light of truth into this dark world, you virtually, uh, you virtually invite criticism and attack. So then the call to be glad about persecution sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Like those who mourn, the blessing is not in the suffering itself, but in the promised outcome of the suffering. The reward here is explicit. Your reward is great in heaven. It is not a reward that's a payment from God for our good works. It goes way beyond that. Our heavenly reward includes, at the very least, an unending face-to-face relationship with God in the consummation. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus himself mourned 
when he saw the people who were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Jesus himself was meek and humble. And he lays a gentle, easy yoke on his people. And he carries it with them. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He himself hungered for and fulfilled all righteousness by his sinless life. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. He himself was merciful. What most often moved him to perform miracles was his compassion for the sick and the needy. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. He himself was so pure that no one could find a legitimate charge against him at his trial. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He himself offered healing and salvation to the people he met. And he offered his own life on the cross to reconcile us to God. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He himself was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Amen.